0: This morning we're continuing. If you're visiting with us, man, you've honored us by being here. I want to encourage you to take one of our connection cards, fill it out, and bring it to the information desk after the service. We've got a gift there for you just to say thank you for taking your time to be in the Lord's house today. And so I hope that you'll do that. Uh, It's good to see you. Uh, If you are visiting with us today, we're continuing a new series that we just started last Sunday on the miracles of Jesus. And as we work our way toward Easter, I thought it was appropriate that we would look at some of the miracles as John outlines in his gospel. And so this morning we'll be in John chapter 4. Last week we were in John chapter 2, and we were able to see how water actually recognized and responded to the very will of God. The thought of Jesus caused the water to respond. For our message series um, on the miracles of Jesus, we're using... Uh, The definition is given to us by Merriam-Webster on the definition of a miracle. And Merriam-Webster states that a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. So in other words, what we said last week is that a miracle is, is a violation of what you and I would consider to be natural laws. If we see something to be a natural law, a miracle intercedes and it actually takes over. It doesn't matter how you and I try to explain it away, it's a miracle. I would suggest to you, I was sharing with the Sunday school class, I would suggest that uh, when we look at some of our church members who have been through surgeries, God has provided miracles in their life. I could look here in the center section and I won't because I don't want to embarrass her, but Donna Sobranick is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I can tell you that I had uh, uh, dental surgery this week. I consider that a miracle. You, you guys, uh, I, I w- it wasn't planned. I went in and had a regular cleaning, thought no, no problem, getting ready to step out of the chair. The dentist asked, when were those x-rays taken? The uh, technician says, today. He says, I want a CAT scan right now. He saw something small in the x-ray that turned out to be a greater problem. And then the very next day, well, let's just say I'm doing my best to join my family members in West Virginia one tooth at a time. <laughs> I not only lost the tooth, I lost part of the gum, the bone's gone. Uh, he said he was going to implant some cadaver bones. I said, what kind of cadaver? And then I started thinking, now is this cadaver, was this person saved or lost? (laughs) What kind of bone am I getting here? But anyway, man, God is so good to us, isn't he? We turn around and miracles are everywhere and sometimes you just can't explain it. And I was thinking about it, was it a coincidence or was it divine appointment that I went to the dentist on Monday? My wife says it's an every six month occurrence. It's not a miracle. She schedules it for me like a mother would a child. Because if she didn't, I wouldn't go. Miracles happen all the time. Last week we were in John chapter 2, and when Jesus turned the water in wine, he was vividly communicating the purpose for which he came. Ultimately, in that miracle, Jesus was demonstrating that his purpose to come was to destroy mankind's so-called religiosity. Remember, he used the water pots that were used for cleansing, and he took... What man saw as something ritualistic and he turned it into a picture of God's amazing grace. We talked about how in the Old Testament Moses turned the water to blood as a sign of God's judgment. But here in the New Testament we see Jesus turning the water into wine as a sign of God's mercy and his grace to us. What a beautiful What a beautiful God we serve. Today I want us to look at the second miracle, not the second miracle ever, but the second miracle that we find that Jesus uh, 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 performs here in Cana of Galilee. In fact, in John chapter 4, some actually believe that this is his first miracle regarding healing, although we're not sure, we could never be sure. Look with me in John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 46. You'll see our story this morning. And the Bible says, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, sir... Come down, ere my son, ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken on him, and he went his way. And he was now going down. His servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And <laughs> they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. And right away I want you to look look at verse number 46 because right away we start to see some things in this story, this miracle of Jesus. Verse 46 tells us that he's returned to Cana. And what we don't know is we don't know the reason he's returned to Cana. Some have suggested that maybe Jesus was returning to Cana of Galilee. Remember after he was in Cana the first time, after the wedding feast, he had gone over to Capernaum where this man is from... And then he made his way to Jerusalem and he was up in Jerusalem and he overturned the, uh, the tables of the money changers and a lot of things were taking place. And then he comes back out and he makes his way to Cana of Galilee. And so some have suggested that maybe Jesus had returned to the area to continue to build momentum on the work that he had or the seed or the spiritual seed, if you please, that he had already planted. He may have come to Cana out of personal reasons. If you do a study, you'll you'll know that Nathaniel, one of his recent disciples, that's where he was from. And so maybe they had to go uh, by way of Nathaniel's home for some reason. And so he's back there. And then some have suggested that Jesus knew, because he's all God, right? That he knew that this noble man would be looking for him. No matter what the reason is, we find Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And right away here in verse 46, it says, there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. What we know from a map study is that Capernaum sits between 20 and 25 miles away from where he would have met Jesus. And so it's a little bit of a journey. But what we know is this man has left Capernaum. His son is sick and he's come over to Cana of Galilee because he's heard that Jesus is in the area. And here's something about the nobleman in verse 26. The Greek word used for nobleman actually means that this guy is the king's servant. He's a courtier, uh, if you please. He's, he's, he's a, a, Roman, a royal official, not a Roman official, but a royal official, if you please. He, he, he works on behalf of the king. He's an officer. He's a Herodian officer. And some have suggested that uh, he might have actually been a, mer- a member of Herod Antipas's. Uh, uh, court we're not sure but what we know is that he has a significant position and is considered a noble man in verse 20 and 47 we know that his son is very sick because verse 47 says that his son is at the point of death and so real quickly you and I can assess something about this guy he's got a crisis you ever had a crisis in your life A red flag that flies up. And this man's crisis is a health crisis. His son is at the point of death. Let me ask an interesting question here. Moms and dads, what wouldn't you do to get healing to your child? Somebody, please. If your son or your daughter was on their deathbed, who among us wouldn't walk 25 miles if we thought it was going to make a difference in our child's health? Am I right? And so he has a health crisis. Sometimes you and I go through health crises. Sometimes sometimes we go through financial crises. Sometimes we go through spiritual crises, family crises, uh, other relation crises in our workplace and in the marketplace. We, we experience these all the time. And if you're not in the midst of a crisis right now, I got good news for you. It's coming. But the question, the question that's so important to each and every one of us is, where do we turn? Where do we turn in the midst of our crisis? One thing I know is this guy, he doesn't have it all together at this point. He has what we would consider maybe some little faith, a little weak faith. He's heard the rumor mill, so to speak. But what I do know about this guy is he turns to the right one at the right time. Listen, when we consider his royal position, it's clear that he would have been, and I was saying this yesterday, he would have been privy to the who's who among medical doctors of his time. If he was a part of Herod Antipas' court, do you think he would have known the best doctors in the area? And yet evidently everything that they have tried has not worked. In fact, if you ever watch the, the movie The Apostle Paul, a recent movie on The Apostle Paul, a similar situation happens in that movie. They obviously had tried a lot of different things, and yet this guy comes to Jesus. And, and here's a news flash for you, folks. Royal officials, whether they're Jew or Gentile, did not make a habit of hanging out with Jewish rabbis or itinerant preachers. They just didn't. And so the mere fact that this guy comes and approaches Jesus It's almost a miracle in and of itself. And yet we know the old saying, desperate times call for, okay, that was half-hearted. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And this was such a time. His son's about to die. And obviously, listen, from Scripture, the news about Jesus is spreading like wildfire. Because I told you after his first miracle, remember, he goes over from Cana, he goes to Capernaum, and then from Capernaum, he goes up to Jerusalem. In fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter 2 and verse 23, notice what it says. It says, When Jesus was in Jerusalem, when he or Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, notice what the Bible says. It says, Many believed in his name. But watch when they believed. When did they believe? When they saw the miracles which he did. In fact, if you remember, right after Jesus is in Jerusalem, in the very beginning of John chapter 3, who comes to Jesus at night? Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. In John chapter 3 and verse number 2, he basically says, hey, he says, Hey, we know that you're a teacher from God. He said, Because no man can do the miracles that you're doing except God be with him. See, Nicodemus, he doesn't believe at that point that Jesus is God, but he understands that Jesus must be from God. And so all that combines, Jesus is now back in Cana, and here's what's happening. Word is beginning to spread like wildfire, right? The only, I say all the time, the only thing that spreads faster than good news is bad news. Just check Facebook out, right? The only, th- only thing that spreads faster than good news is bad news. And Jesus is back in Cana. His miracles have created quite a significant uh, stir, if you please, amongst the people. And from our text, what we can see is that this man was in need of help. And rumor has it that Jesus is performing, has been performing miracles. And so guess what? This guy says, everything else that we've tried hasn't worked. And so I'm going to make the 20, 25-mile journey over to Cana. And I'm going to find Jesus. And I'm going to ask Jesus to do what these doctors evidently can't do. In other words, Jesus was his only hope. And he comes to Jesus. Look at verse 47. As he defies cultural protocols, notice verse 47 says, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him, and what I want you to focus in on is the word besought. It says, and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The word besought suggests the fact that this guy not only said, hey, Jesus, can you come heal my son? The implication is that this guy kept on asking. It was like he was begging him. Can you come help him? Can you come help him? I imagine Jesus walking through Cana and the guy just is keeping on. He keeps on asking him, He keeps on be- that's what that word besought means. It means to beg. It means non-stop. It means that he kept it up. whether he knew it or not, the nobleman was taking a leap of faith. It's been said that faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second. Sometimes, God will ask you and I to take a step of faith that you and I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Remember last week we were talking about the servants. When Jesus tells the servants to go put water in the water pots, it didn't make sense. And yet they had to take that first step of faith. That's exactly what this man is doing when he comes to the Lord. He doesn't understand it all, but his crisis has led him to exercise at least a little bit of faith. Let me ask you, Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I have a little bit of faith. Or maybe if you do a spiritual inventory, you might say, I got uh, what maybe you might refer to as weak faith. It doesn't matter as long as you exercise it. See, that's the difference. You might have little faith, but if you exercise it, I can assure you that that faith will continue to grow. It will continue to blossom. God will continue to do something in your life. And so that's what takes place based on what he heard. Listen, this critical point of his life, the man comes to Jesus. And what we know is that uh, the man takes weak faith, little faith. It may have been small, but... God is using that in this story to teach you and I a greater message. And the message that he's teaching us is that whether you have a weak faith or a strong faith, he wants us to see the connection between faith and miracles. Right? If I had faith of a mustard seed, what does the Bible say? I could do what with mountains? Not that I would do it, but that God would do it through a faith of a little mustard seed. And so God wants to cultivate faith here. And so if you're a note taker, the noble man's journey begins with the crisis. He has nowhere to turn. He has nowhere to turn. And folks, I would just say this. Jesus should be our first resort, not our last. This man comes to Jesus when he has nowhere else to turn. He's his last resort. But for you and I who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he always ought to be our first resort. Not our last resort. In verse 48, look on. Jesus replies, the guy says, hey, I need you to come down and heal my son. Here's Jesus' wonderful reply. He says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What? What? What are you talking about? Jesus isn't just speaking to the man. He's speaking to everyone that would have been around. You see, because his experience in Judea, his experience in in, in Galilee, is that people come because they see miracles. Do you know the only people who actually believed Jesus up to this point based on his word? Do you know who they were? Does anybody know? It's the Samaritans. <laughs> In fact, if you look right before this passage, you'll see that in John chapter 4, notice in verse 41, and I didn't give you this, but it it talks about the Samaritans in the city believed on him. For the saying of the woman, the woman at the well goes out. But notice what it says in verse 41. It says, many more believed because of his own word. The Samaritans are the only ones in Scripture at this point that believe Jesus based on his word without a miracle. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this culture is crazy The only reason they're believing is because they're seeing a miracle. He's not specifically condemning this man. He's concerned about the spiritual condition of all man. But remember, John chapter 2 and 23 says, Many believed in him, but they only did so when. Only when they saw the miracles that he did. Typically, guys, if you read scripture, typically the Jews, they actually withheld faith and belief until they got a sign. Do you know that? In fact, guys, throw up 1 Corinthians 1.22. For a Jewish person, it was not only something that they craved, it was a requirement, right? It was a requirement. They needed some kind of a sign, some kind of a wonder, some kind of a miracle for them to believe. In fact, Scripture, Paul had, was clued in on that and says, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks It says, then the Greeks seek after wisdom. You see, the world's philosophy, and I wonder if it's not the same today in 2019. The world's philosophy has always been seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. I don't believe in your Jesus because I can't see him. That's what the world will say. But Jesus' policy is found in Hebrews 11.1, where the Bible says, For faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But notice on, Jesus has a gentle rebuke here, but in verse 49, the nobleman doesn't stop. He keeps beseeching Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 49. The nobleman, his response to Jesus' gentle rebuke, notice, he says, Sir, come down, ere my child die. What he's saying, he's saying, if you don't come, my child's going to die. Folks, that's what we call faith. That's what we call faith. However, at this point, weak it is, however little it is at this point, this man is exercising some faith. But what I want you to see also is, please show verse 49 again. Does anybody see something strange here in this verse? Notice what he says before he says, if you don't come down, my child's going to die. What does he refer to Jesus as? The word sir there in the English to you and I, we look at that word, and if we're not careful, we just keep on going by because in the English, it seems almost like he's trying to be polite. He's he's courteous by calling him sir. He's like sir. If you don't come, it's that's why we w- that's what we would suggest. But in the Greek, when you do a study of the word sir, it's the word kurios. It's the word kurios, and it actually means that this man at this point, the little faith. Is starting to grow a little bit. That little bud of faith is starting to grow because he says, sir, when he says kurios, if you don't come, my child is going to die. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are supreme in authority. Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. You are in control. And if you don't come, my son is going to die. How amazing is this? I don't even know if the man understands what he has said. But in the moment, he says, "Curios, if you don't come, my child will die. And so what we see is that this man's political power and clout, and by the way, as a nobleman, he would have had a little bit of a political power. But can I tell you this today? Jesus is not impressed with your power or my power or the powers of anyone. He's impressed by humility. He doesn't care what your job title is. He doesn't care uh, if you work at McDonald's, Walmart, or in the White House. He doesn't care. What he cares is do you have enough humility to humble yourself before his sight and to call upon him? Because isn't that what Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer thee and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not? This is what Jesus wants. He wants humility. And so we see from this noble man, he's got a little bit of faith. He doesn't know it. But this bud is starting to blossom. It's starting to blossom. He has a little bit of faith. And then he says, sir, he's saying, you are supreme in authority. Come and heal my son, because if you don't, he's not going to be healed. And in doing so, he literally lowers himself. By the way, as a royal official, he would have had a little bit of political clout over Jesus. And yet he humbles himself beneath Jesus in this instance. In James chapter 4 and verse number 6, the Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. You see, the nobleman didn't allow his position to keep him from Jesus. He had a real need, and he was committed to confessing that need to Jesus. Psalm 91:15, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. I already quoted Jeremiah 3:3. The nobleman did make a couple of mistakes. You say, well, what kind of mistake did he make? Well, he assumed that Jesus had to come to Capernaum to heal his boy. And his boy was at the point of death, verse 47 says. And he also, remember, he says, sir, if you don't come, my son will die. What he didn't understand is that even if his boy did die, Jesus could still do something about it. So he had a little bit of of misguidance going on. The healing didn't need to come before Jesus the, the kid could have been dead, and if Jesus said, Thy son liveth, then that's exactly what would have taken place. And so he's a little bit misguided there in his faith. But in the beginning, his weak faith rested, guys, on basically what he heard, on what he had heard. Do you know that John in John 20, 31, 30 and 31 tells us that the miracles that he records in the book of John are written so that you and I might have faith? The reason he handpicks... The reason the Holy Spirit moves John to handpick certain miracles is because these miracles are taught for you and I to gain a better uh, understanding of why Jesus performed miracles. It wasn't just about, oh, look, at look the, the boy lives. It, it wasn't just about the water being turned into wine, and we talked about that last week. It wasn't just about uh, the impotent man being healed at the, at the pool It wasn't at the Pool of Siloam. It wasn't about just the the boy receiving his sight. It wasn't about that. It was a greater message that was being conferred or conveyed to us. His weak faith in the midst of the crisis receives a boost of confidence. It receives a boost of confidence when Jesus speaks to him in verse number 50. Look at verse 50. We're almost done. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. You see, his faith is being built now on a better foundation. See, his faith first was built on what people said. Now Jesus is saying, go, thy son liveth. His faith starts to grow more. It gets a little bit more confident. How is he confident? Because Jesus said so. Jesus said, you go, and your son's going to live. And so the little faith is growing little by little. He's taking a little step at a time. And Jesus now gives him confidence by saying, listen, your son is going to live It's been said that the proof that we believe the word of God is seen in how we respond to the word of God. Proof of that we believe the word of God is seen in how we respond. Here's the struggle many times. And let me raise my hand first to say I'm guilty too. Many times we struggle because we just don't believe. We just don't believe many times. We read God's word and we think it's some kind of a, a, a book of antiques, a book of miracles and stories from the past. We don't realize that the Jesus who worked then still wants to work now. We don't believe that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And so for that reason, we don't call upon him. And because we don't call upon him, he's not able to show us great and mighty things which we know not. See, we, we struggle sometimes with this thing called belief. And yet here in the passage, what's pretty cool is that this man, Jesus, says, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And so in verse uh, uh, 50 and following, notice what the Bible says here in John chapter 4. It says, Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. Notice verse 51 and following. And as he was now going down, he's on his way, his servants actually met him and told him saying thy son liveth and so what we see is his crisis was bolstered with a little bit of confidence from what Jesus said and now here come his servants and his confidence is confirmed the, the crisis has moved him to a position of confidence and now he's confident he's headed home he's thinking Jesus said my son lives and so I'm gonna head home trusting that Jesus what he said is actually what he's gonna do and as he's going his servants come and they actually confirm what Jesus had told him. How beautiful is that? But you say there's more to the story than that. You're right. Because as soon as the servants come, notice what the Bible says he does in verse 52, I believe it is. Verse 52 tells us that he literally inquired. He's like, uh, hold on a second. Um, you say my boy is living. Um, tell me a little bit about that. When, what was the exact time? Notice it says, what was the exact time he began to amend? He says, in other words, as you and I would look at it, he's saying, what was the time that he started to feel better? Have you ever had a cold or been sick? And there's like a turning point. You start to feel a little bit better. You've had enough chicken soup, enough ginger ale, enough saltine crackers to last a lifetime. And you're like, ooh, my stomach's starting to feel better. I think I'll go out and eat barbecue brisket. Not, no, time out, time out, baby steps, right? Time out. It's like, we do that all the time. It's like, oh, I feel better. I could eat eat a horse. No, you can't, all right? You can have vegetable soup now, right? He says, what time did my boy start to feel better? And notice his servants, they say this. Yesterday at the seventh hour, at one o'clock, basically, one o'clock, the fever left him. He says, when did my boys start to feel better? They said, no, you don't get it. At one o'clock yesterday, your boy sat up and he was better. Fever's gone. His healing was complete and immediate. And it's at that moment. Look at verse 53. It's at that moment. So the father knew it was at the same hour in in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth Listen, by putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, so to speak, not only did this noble man believe the reports of Jesus Christ, he believed the words of Jesus Christ, but now ultimately he believes the supremacy and lordship of Jesus Christ. He puts his faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, verse 53 paints a beautiful portrait of what happens in this man's life after he recognizes that what Jesus said actually came to fruition. His crisis... Remember the progression. His crisis is bolstered by a little confidence when Jesus says what he says. His confidence leads him on his way. It's confirmed. But here's the beautiful thing at verse 53 notice the very last part. Because after his faith is confirmed and he understands who Jesus Christ is, the miracle working God of the ages, he believes in his whole house. His confirmation leads him to be contagious. He's a contagious Christian. I have a message that I preached about a year and a half ago, asking the question, were we contagious Christians? See, immediately, he can't help. He can't help but to go home and share his encounter with Jesus. Guys, that's all Jesus wants us to do today. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've come to the point where you have uh, repented of your sins, you say, yeah, I understand I'm a sinner. Nobody needed to tell me, let alone that guy up there at the platform. He didn't need to tell me I'm a sinner. I knew that. But if we've come to the point in our life where we've asked the Lord to forgive us of our sin and we've trusted Christ as our Savior, the gratitude that we feel should lead us, should compel us, as Second Corinthians 5 tells us, should compel us to become contagious. The nobleman came seeking physical healing for his son. And what Jesus gave him, his son, and his entire family was spiritual healing. See, he came seeking physical healing, but what he got in the end was spiritual healing. It's like I said last week, with Jesus we get more than we need. It's like I said last week, with Jesus we not only get more than we need, we get more than we ask. And ultimately, every time with Jesus, I want you to be encouraged today because every time with Jesus, you get more, and I get more than we deserve. We get more than we need, more than we ask, and more than we deserve. Why? Because our God is a good God. The purpose of this miracle was not simply to heal his son. A lot of people glaze over this short little passage of Scripture, and they say, oh, that's nice. There Jesus is healing another one. Look at him. And we wonder sometimes, why won't he heal me? Oh, do we believe that he can heal us? Do we believe that he has the answers physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally? Do we believe that he has the answers for our life today? We either do or we don't. And that dictates how we live. Remember, if we believe the word, our belief in the word of God is going to be evidenced by how you and I respond. To the word of God. Someone has put it this way faith is the result of trusting the words of God for the effects of God. Based on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in every one of our lives, every one of us, every one of us who know the Lord, our desire should be to become more and more contagious each and every day. So, what are some lessons we learned? What are some lessons we learned? As we really put a cap to this, if you're a note taker, rapid fire, some lessons we learned. Number one, faith is prerequisite for pleasing God. This man had a little bit of faith, but here's what I know, he exercised it. You say, well, my faith's not strong. Exercise it. That's how you get strong, right? It's like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's like I start out with the five pound dumbbell. If I lift that enough times, guess what? I'm going to be able to lift how much? You think I might get six? (laughs) Maybe I'll be like Chuck Wisniewski. I'll be able to lift like 200-pound bells, right? Like, start with the lightweight. Exercise a little faith, and it'll begin to grow. See, faith is a prerequisite For pleasing God. Without faith, the Bible tells us it's impossible to please God. Listen, our job is to exercise faith. God's job is to provide the miracle. A lot of times we're trying to provide miracles in our own lives. It doesn't work that way. Well, let me take care of this. I know God's busy. I'll I'll intervene. I'll take care of it, honey. Uh, I'll take out the trash, and I'll perform the miracle on my way home. Right? No, let Jesus do the miracle working in our lives. Number two, distance is no barrier to the power of God. Jesus didn't need to go to Capernaum. He doesn't need to, uh, to, to uh, go some physical location. Listen, if Jesus, if you've received Jesus Christ, he's already taken up residency in your heart. And the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Oh, listen, we have a great God. There's no barrier to his power. Sickness is not a respecter of persons. Got some good news for you. The dentist this week told me I was sick and didn't know it. Although I confirmed to him that my wife knew I was sick a long time ago. Listen, young, old, rich, poor, the just and the unjust, sickness hits every one of us. Affliction, number four, affliction may bring about blessing. It may bring about blessing. Think about it. Hello? What brought the noble man to Jesus in the first place? The only reason he got out of his comfort zone, the only reason he left Capernaum, the only reason he humbled himself and stood before Jesus of Nazareth was because he had a crisis. Jesus, in his case, was the last resort. I suggest to you that he should be our first resort. Listen, affliction may bring about blessing. It was the boy's sickness that brought him to Jesus, but in return, his whole family received salvation. Number five, through this miracle, we can see that Jesus is not only the creator of life, but he is the restorer of life. Number six, faith in God's word is preferred over faith in God's wonders. Faith in God's word is preferred over faith in God's wonders. And then lastly, when Jesus says it, you ever heard this before? When Jesus says it, that settles it. What did he say to the nobleman? He said, Go thy way. Thy son liveth. Today he is telling each and every one of us, exercise some faith. Be men and women who exercise faith and let me be the God. Let him be the God that performs the miracles that we need. I said it this way. Listen, if you and I We'll just walk by faith. Miracles will happen. Amen. If we'll just keep our eyes on Jesus, miracles will happen. Listen, proper belief is never in the miracle, but in the one who performs the miracles. A little fun fact for you. A little fun fact. Who met the nobleman on the road to tell him that his son was healed? His servants. In John chapter 2 last week, Who was it that actually saw the miracle take place? John chapter 2, 9 tells us it was the servants. I don't know, maybe you can do something with that. You get it? It was the servants. The servants who actually experienced the miracle working power of God. May God help us all To humble ourselves and become the servants of Jesus that we ought to be. And just maybe, if we do that, just maybe, we'll start to see some miracles. Some miracles like we've never experienced in our life before. Oh, we'll start to recognize them everywhere we turn. If we'll just humble ourselves, exercise some faith, some obedience, and become servants. Of our great God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.